Hello and welcome to Angel's Costumes Behind the Scenes. I'm Jeremy Angel. I'm Richie Green. And I'm Jonathan Littman. This week we're going to have a conversation with Ray Holman. He is a costume designer. You might know him from Doctor Who, Torchwood, recently Fleabag. And we have a nice long chat about his education, how he feels about costume. He's very passionate about the course he went on and further education. And it was a really good chat about Ray and his history. Yes, Ray's got a lot to say about how he got into the industry and, and the various steps that he, he took to get there, which is which is very interesting. I think the progression that he identifies from his from his early days working at the BBC and then, you know, moving through and and now what the commercial TV sector looks like and Essentially, for these modern dramas like Broadchurch, which pull in massive viewing figures, huge. Uh, yeah. You know, in addition to his very well-established role on Who and previous, you know, Torchwood, Torchwood, yeah. and which all comes out of Cardiff. Yes, which is a massive, a massive producing centre. In case anyone didn't know that, I, I mean, I mentioned it to Ray, and it's a, it's a comment I've made before, and it's something I feel at times that I don't feel contemporary costume in productions gets the recognition at times it deserves do you guys agree with that i absolutely do agree with that i think people just think it's a case of going out and buying stuff and and or, or even perhaps getting actors to turn up wearing their own clothes and of course jonathan very very successfully created a, a modern costume hire department for angels that's that's how you basically started and it was it was a huge part of our business i i would say about contemporary drama that just as much thought and application goes into the to, into the creation of a character in the, in a contemporary sense, which is which surprises people because often they think that they just turn up wearing their own clothes. Yeah, and that's absolutely not the case. It's directed by narrative. No, and I think again, in, in, I think it's the interview with Andrew. He makes the point that everybody has an opinion about contemporary yeah. clothing. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, to, to raise credit for creating such idiosyncratic clothing, albeit you know items that have come from the high street on on Phoebe Waller Bridge is 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 really impressive because it's so worked for her character and the mm. type of person, the type of body shape she is, the type of person that she plays. And um, I think it was a fantastic opportunity. We're slightly going off track here, but do you think that do you think that contemporary costume in a production should be noticed or should be invisible? I mean, should you actually be? I suppose it depends what the character is. But I'm thinking of something like Sex Education, where it's almost it's almost impossible to tell whether that's a contemporary production or a slightly retro production. I think with um, Sex Education, that's what they were going for, and I think I I got annoyed personally about with sex education is the um costume actually got a lot of attention before it came out and people were exactly what you were saying Richard they were talking about what period is it is it English is it American and it looked great and it got their attention but once it came out that was sort of like the the end of that conversation and it was the the costume helped with sex education it made it look great and it did and I just think it's really interesting that people don't don't understand the thought process that goes into making the contemporary stick out the way it stick out maybe with the wrong word but your comment was should it be noticed or not that dad's always said that the art of good costume is you shouldn't notice it i mean obviously the star pieces you can notice but the good costume you you shouldn't notice it should just blend in and allow you to believe what you're watching yeah well you shouldn't notice but at the same time you you should notice that it is part of the overall 
sense of the world that the production's creating. So it's 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 a contradictory balance. Obviously, the producers of Sex Education could see what it looked like when they were at the point of promotion and publicity. And there was, um, I noticed that there was a series of portrait shots that were being billboarded around town in uh, in, in yeah. London. In fact, I took a photo of uh, Gillian Anderson because I thought she looked particularly amazing in the in the lineup. And I was fascinated by the amount of detail and the specific heightened sense of reality that was presented in the portraits. And at the point that they were released, I, I thought it was part, I didn't know anything about the programme and I was drawn to the programme because of the publicity campaign. And it, it, it did follow through uh, in the sense that it has a timeless quality. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you could perhaps in 10 years time, watch it as a piece and not necessarily know where and when and how that's right i think there's a sense of of longevity about it Mm. yeah i think you're right that actually leads quite nicely because one of the interviews we will be conducting later on in the series will be an interview with rosa diaz who is the costume designer of sex education so that will be a really interesting conversation and hopefully i can get her to tell us a bit more about that process with sex education well if it would be interesting and we can talk about it further down the line when when as our preamble prior to presenting rosa's interview but when you think about rosa and what she what she personally would bring to a, a project through her own personal style and, mm, yeah. and her sense of color and uh, the, the detail you know that would be the perfect person to turn up for an interview to be sitting in front of producers yeah. to present her yes. ideas and concepts and for them to look at her and go, you've got the job. <laughs> so we will get into the interview very shortly with Ray, but we just want to say thank you so much for all the positive feedback we've received since we launched the podcast last week. It's been great. We've had some great comments. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are Costume Podcast. Or you can visit us at the website, which is angelsbehindthescenes.com. We will love any feedback you've got any comments any suggestions for interviewers it'll be great to to hear what you have to say you can email us at podcast at angels.co.uk we're acknowledging everybody's comments and putting it into the mix to move forward definitely i mean we've we've added a few additional interviews which we weren't planning for much further down the line due to some of the feedback so please do keep it coming and without further ado here's my conversation with ray holman Thank you for agreeing to do this conversation with us today, Ray. It's uh, it's something we've been wanting to do for a long, long time. And I, I feel you've got a lot of information that you've experienced and the, your, your career path's always been an interesting one. And the projects that you've worked on have been far and varied. I think your, your work, you've always liked to take on a fun challenge and do things your way. And it's always been interesting to see those those results. So, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Ah, you're welcome. I'm very, I'm very honoured that you've asked me to do it, and it's brilliant to be able to share, um, share not only um, experience, but um, to share what I think of the industry and and where I came from. Well, that that that's that basically where where I wanted to start. If that was okay, very simple, nice, huge question for you. <laughs> where did you begin? Where did it all start for you? How did you get into costume, and how did you get to become the designer that you are today? That's quite a big question, but basically, I'm from a very working class family. My dad was a lorry driver. My mum was a cleaner, and um, I was quite shy. And my parents were quite young and didn't kind of 
nowhere to go in the world until we got a drama teacher in school who kind of spotted me and well spotted a group of us who were kind of quite introverted and she decided to teach us how to speak publicly so she put us on debating teams and all that sort of things which meant that there were a couple of us who got into drama especially in my year and um three or four of us applied to go to drama school and i got in and um at the time this was the late 70s early 80s when I applied to go to drama school. I had to apply and do an acting audition, but but the ba- the course was a three year course, and basically you did a foundation, and you did everything. You did voice and speech acting, television directing, stage management, and design. Mm. And after a foundation, you then specialised for the rest of your degree. But after I'd finished my A levels, the careers teacher at the school got hold of me and said. What are you doing? You will never survive in that world. You are a working class kid. Go for this interview for this insurance company. And I don't know why, but I I thought, oh, right, okay, I'm not doing the right thing here. Went and became basically an insurance clerk. And two months into being an insurance clerk and not going to college, I um, realized I'd made a mistake. So I reapplied and did another acting audition and then got into the college again and then went to the college. So it was a that was a bit of a journey and a bit of a lesson learned. Um, and when I had done my foundation at the college, the head of drama said, the design tutor wants to talk to you. And I kind of went, oh, right, OK. I mean, I, I'd always done art and I'd weirdly i realize it now in retrospect that i'd always drawn people in clothes but i didn't that was never really on my radar as in any way just something you enjoyed and you did yes just something that we did i i did so i went to see the design teacher and she persuaded me to do design and specialize in and the course was theater design so i start we started that and which meant that then you you further specialised and you you did because it it was it was a performance led drama school which meant we put two or three productions on each term and for those productions we got given different responsibilities so maybe one production you'd make the props maybe another one you'd sew some costumes maybe another one you would paint the sets or help build the sets but very quickly into the, into my second year when um elizabeth was teaching us to pattern cut it kind of became really obvious to me it was really easy i could look at something and i could see it in 3d um so i started pattern cutting and making like 17th 18th mm. century um frock coats and corsetry and doing the history of costume so by the end of my second year i was designing the costumes for public productions i wanted to specialize in costume in my third year but it wasn't that kind of course so i had to do a selection of um i had to do my academic work and my, the the dissertations um and i had to so we i came to a kind of a deal with the college that i would design one set so that i got my degree but the rest of my work would be costume work. So I got a huge range of stuff to design while I was at college, which was brilliant. And 
very kind of unexpected. It allowed you to allowed you to see all all different avenues and all different sides to so during your training you got to appreciate. Yeah, and especially the 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 history of costume. I did all different periods. It taught me how to deal with to talk to directors, even you know they they were the tutors. Um, how to fit actors, uh, how to make actors comfortable, how to to kind of and actually you know it was a lot of it was about making mistakes you mm. know i'd make a mistake in pattern cutting but i was a college so that's mm. why that it was a, it was a good place to do it i yeah i did that but strangely another tutor got hold of me and said do not become a costume person you will never do well you will only ever be a dresser <laughs> Because it was the eighties, and he's like, I don't know even know what a dresser is, but you know, I'm, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to listen to this other guy. I've listened to a man in the past who told me to go work for an insurance company. I'm just going to do what I want to do, and he said, okay. I I went to a Cardiff college. It, in those days, it wasn't a London college, so it wasn't Wimbledon or Saint Martin's. But the funny old thing is that my my course and my college was on the BA trajectory. And now the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, which I have a lot to do with because I'm an mm. alumni, is one of the best. Well, it is. I think it's the best design course in the UK, or or I'm claiming that for it anyway. But it, it, it has a huge range of costume courses and design courses and design and performance courses. And it's now a different kind of place. In my day, there were four of us in the design department, and now there are multiple courses, BAs, MAs, people training to be teachers, you know, and I go in and out there looking at um, looking at exhibitions. Well, and so when you came when you came out of uh, out of college and you you were finished, where did you where was your entry point? Well, at the end of our three years, we did exhibitions. So hmm. I put we put our exhibitions up and. The a woman who was the head of costume at BBC Wales always came to see the exhibitions. Her name was Pearl Setchfield, and she came to see the exhibitions. and She rang afterwards and said, "Look, I've got a department full of designers. Um, none of them were Welsh. They um, not in those days. Um, costume designers. It's full. I can't employ anybody else. But I want to send Ray Holman to meet um, Joyce at BBC Pebble Mill." in Birmingham so um, I was like oh okay so on the coach I got with three suitcases full of costumes I'd made and designed I turned up to see Joyce she laughed at me because I turned up in her office with three suitcases full of corsets and frock coats and she just just, just because that's that's normal behavior for a costume person clearly (laughs) well and I just didn't I didn't know about this world so I just thought I'm taking all the best things that I've got. And so she she laughed at me. We got on and she said, why don't you, come? we've got something on in the studio on the weekends. Come up on a Friday night, stay in Birmingham and we will get you to trail uh, our costume department. And that's how it started. So I went to Pebble Mill and I spent five or six weekends trailing as a, a dresser called Colin, who was a very experienced dresser. And what did one of the first things he said to me, he said, I don't care if you've been to college, 
I don't care. Do you know how to iron a shirt? I don't care if you know how to iron a shirt. I'm going to show you how to iron a shirt. This is how you do it here. <laughs> so These are our rules so, and you will play by our rules. Uh, yeah. And then that just led to, you know, I then became... And funnily enough, they had a huge production of the Pickwick Papers. And in those days, I think I think quite a lot of that was done from Angels as well. And in those days, it was Sunday afternoon, frivolous television, you know, mm-hmm. light kind of. It wasn't any dark kind of version. But it was it was a quite a big production with lots of essays and lots of cast. Nigel Stock played Mr. Pickwick. And I was one of, I don't know, seven or eight boys who were on contract and we went filming for six weeks and after the filming it's quite brutal after the filming it all went into studio for weekends and they had to it got you got kind of knocked down to two or three that they would keep on contract so i was one of the ones who was kept on contract and um that was the start of my dressing career so um, yeah, so, and then I made my way around the BBC, <laughs> so I went back, the, I, I actually left Pebble Mill and went to HTV and spent, I think it was like a year and a, a year, we made some, suddenly, we uh, they were making something called Return to Treasure Island, a pirate thing, mm. um, with Brian Blessed, and suddenly there I was looking after Brian, with harnesses, we were in Jamaica, mm. we were in Spain, uh, explosions, pirate ships. Um, I think it was it, it was it was for Disney, um, and so there I was, you know, in lifts in Jamaica with hundreds of frock coats, <laughs> dragging them around in the heat. But a million miles away from where you set out in Wales. From. Yeah, yeah. But but then you know the college stuff came into fall because um, came to the fore because I had to suddenly the designers like. Right, you're back in London. Go and buy buttons for this, 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 and this. And in those days, you know, off you go to London on the train. Buy bags and bags and bags of buttons. I want these to be wooden. I want these to be filigree. I want these, you know, they need to be shanked. They need to be this. So all those kind of assistant, it was just a big mix-up, you Mm. know, of of responsibilities. But it it was great because suddenly designers were kind of teaching me where to where to go for suppliers and how to behave when you did returns or or you went into a costume house to hire things it's interesting to find out through these conversations we've had how the designers and how they were treated coming through and how they were shown and how it seems to be a really important part for everyone it's just like if yes from people we've spoken to it's like if someone didn't know how to tie a tie or a windsor knot it's not a, a case of embarrassment. It's, no. okay, everyone, I'll show you how to do it because you should know, but it'll help you going forward. It's not a punishment. It's There are no stupid yeah. questions. Yeah. Ask and we'll teach. And you know what? When, one of the first things we did on Pickwick Papers, even the experienced dressers, men and women, we sat around a big table in the wardrobe department. We all had a head and we all showed it. We all did our own bows and our own hmm. stocks. And we'd learned how to, we had the time. We, we, we were taught by the senior dressers. Um, but you all, you all had the chance to sit around the table and ask a question without being embarrassed about it. That was the most important thing. And, and you were learning as well. And when did you, when did you get the, your, your first, or how did you get your first designing gig? TV or well, what was your first, as far as you're concerned, your first proper designing? Proper designing? I, I, I had gone back to the BBC 
and worked at BBC Wales for a few years. But then I went back to Pebble Mill because that felt like my home. And it was something like four Mm. years later. I'd been to Television Centre in between as an assistant designer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went back to Pebble Mill to do the assistant designing on All Creatures Great and Small. Did that and then became staff. Um, what I didn't realise is that when you become staff at the BBC, they can do anything with you. So um, <laughs> within... You're theirs. You're theirs, yeah. So I'd been <laughs> out of college for five years and I was suddenly an, a staff as an assistant costume designer, got called into the head of costumes saying, OK, there's a 13-part police series that needs a costume designer. We think it's time. We'd like you to do it. Where the director would like you to do it. The producer would like you to do it. And I kind of nearly fell off the chair and said, "No, I don't <laughs> want to do that. I don't want to do a police series. I don't want to do this." And I think Tim was quite good friends. He was Al Barnett, and he was head of costume at Pebble Mill at that moment. And he said, "Just do it. Just do it. I'll send you on some." I just don't know how to manage a department, so they sent me on management courses, and and I did it. And it was a police series, and nobody wanted to do a police series, but it was great. It was called Specials. It was slightly comedic, it, but the problem with that was that suddenly I was a twenty-nine-year-old costume designer with a prime time series on the BBC. And I didn't feel, I mean, if I look back on it, I would say I wasn't ready to design. But And I didn't ask to design mm. it, but um, I did it. And then there was, uh, then I became some kind of like supremo assistant who did big stuff and then did my own productions in between. So it was mm. a good break. It was now, it, it, you know, it's lovely. And, and I think people would say, how lucky were you? At the time, I what I felt actually quite basically at the time was I wanted to be an assistant costume designer for a bit longer because costume designers, I was learning so much. And then I felt mm. like if I'm a costume designer, am I meant to know it all? How am I meant to... You know, everybody's going to be asking me the questions and I'm meant to know the answers. But, I mean, that was just my lack of experience. So. But then it, 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 it's, it's, it's a mixture of, I suppose, it's that someone might say, oh, how lucky are you? But no, you, you did your time. You, you, went, you, you went through college. You, you learned it that way. You then grafted and assisted and you, you did all of that. And you got to the point where they thought you were ready just because you didn't think you are ready. Someone did. And right place, yes. right time, right experience. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure after it, you maybe sit there and go, I might want to do some more assisting. But at least you knew you could design. Yeah. and that yeah. you'd done it and the first one was done and that decision at least was taken away from you in that sense that you were given that opportunity and you took it with both hands yeah yeah I mean I did it and I never felt I ever I still don't feel like I, I know <laughs> it I like I know it all but that's as you get older you realize you can't possibly know it all but what happens within in those days and it doesn't happen so much now but there was a it, and and don't get me wrong I mean this in the nicest way there was a quite a big class structure within the BBC. So you'd get like phenomenally famous costume designers who, you know, you'd feel nervous to say hello to. And mm. you'd get amazing costume designers who socialized with everybody. Um, and so it was quite a big deal to 
suddenly become a costume designer within the BBC. And I, I absolutely loved all the designers I assisted. So mm. because every single one of them taught me something different about the industry and I did and I was worried that I didn't have the experience to do that with with my own costume teams um but it but it did happen you know it it, it you learn through life what would you feel are the the differences between when you started designing and designing today what are the the main differences for you from when i was within the bbc yeah from when you first started until what you get to do now because you you are back at the bbc to a point with some of your production but in a completely different capacity the bbc supported you an awful lot as a designer and like you 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 kind of had a little bit of a say who your team would be but you know, you knew you had experienced people to come into your department. They would put your your kits together. There was a stock. There were workrooms. Um, none of that exists really now as a designer. If you want those things, if you want a workroom, you, you set it up yourself or you get your team to set it up. Um, if you want haberdashery, you buy it from the costume budget. Um, the BBC had a great big support network of people, you know, that you could, if you were on a big production, you, you could, you could, um, arrange to have the laundry done overnight. Um, but that, you know, now, <laughs> now it, we're all self-contained. Yes. And so, which actually, that leads to one of my other questions, which was, um, how important is your relationship with your crew and your costume supervisor on a show? Oh, very important because you need, I need to know that they're not, only are they not going to steal my job and, um, <laughs> and try and... <laughs> try and outdo me but but actually i do try and choose the best people i can um but also they uh, i want talented people and a, a big part of having a costume team is to kind of have a have a good mix and um and that varies on different jobs i mean everybody knows i'm not a film designer so i don't have the kind of expansive costume roles to offer on the things I do, but I do have, it does vary from television production to production. So mm. I, you know, on Doctor Who, for example, I will have an assistant designer um, who can help me design and can research with me and can help me run the department. I have a supervisor who will do day-to-day -day running of it. So I think basically you need to have people who you trust, mm -hmm. talented people. So try to get a mix of some who can sew, some who are better on set and organized people and people with skills. I mean, you know, one of my big things now is... Because I was trained kindly at the BBC, I like to extend training out to the college or to offer experience within the jobs I do to trainees and, and to mm. um, to any college students. So, uh, but but your team is really really important because it may be as a designer I have to spend half my day in meetings or. I'm if you're if you're filming two or three different blocks with two or three different directors I might be on a different unit and uh, and my assistant designer might be on another unit but we always have to prep and so mm. um another person I I can give a brief to may ring 
angels. But but yeah. I think it's down to people, you know, knowing the people, knowing their skills, and having lovely people um, around you. It seems to be one of the things that, that again, this is another. It's an interesting thing that's come up in in some of these interviews, which is first of all, with the the, the the trust is it works in almost so much different things. With you, we were saying with your supervisor, your assistant designer, the fact that you you have to trust trust that they're they're going to continue your work while you're not there and take your vision with things. And the other thing that's interesting that you say there is one of the people we've spoken to, uh, Shelley, who's responsible for Angel's apprenticeship and training program. And the point she made, which is there are so many people who come out saying, I want to be a designer and not actually looking at the or knowing the whole big picture of a film set or a film crew, knowing there's one designer on a job. Yes. There's one assistant or maybe two assistants on the job. But then there's a team of at times up to 20, 30 people in your team. And those are the positions which are really important if the title isn't there. But the what they do is it's so hands on and so multi-leveled and involved that that should be what people also know about not just the costume design yeah trust is the main thing and also also education has changed and people have to pay a lot to go to their colleges and do their courses these days so when they leave college they want to be they think they can be fully formed designers and i would say there's a lot to learn for your own mental health and just for your own experience you know enjoy the job there's costume will teach you for the rest of your life working in costume you you can learn so many different things and obviously some people want to be designers but forget that designers also manage budgets they are managers as well mm. as designers and so there's a lot of meetings to to go to it's not all sitting down and having fun solving the design problems there's a lot of other things to do with it but i would say and i would all you know i would say that kids and people coming out of college should you know should be should be thrilled to to go on to a production and be happy to learn really mm. and they can i mean pe- pe- different people have different things can bring different things as well it's like i found a lovely lovely woman from the welsh college of Music drama who absolutely adores leather work and you know she has come to doctor who um she's a good maker and i can i, I can feel safe as a designer she can teach me how we how we make things in leather how we how we deal with leather on you know mm. on different in, in different situations and so it's it's about us all learning as well and and about us all being human i think you know having a group of lovely people together and because the job gets quite stressful anyway you know we're always working to financial budgets and to timing budget time budget and time and schedules you know which suddenly you know, yeah, you have to make an hour's television in two two weeks, and it's fantasy. It's interesting on every mm. single job, and and you know your teams change and they change size. It's like on on Fleabag, for example, there were only three of us in the costume department because it was a BBC Three comedy. I didn't know there was only just three of you on it. I mean, I knew, yeah. I mean, with the way Fleabag shot and everything, it's always quite tight and everything, but I didn't realise there's some iconic looks and things that were created and there was still a lot, a lot of people in 
in costume in the whole time. So the fact there's only three of you, that's... And, and that you see, that's where trust works because I didn't get to sit around on set. I didn't... I, I got to set just to say a few things in the morning, but then I spent most of my day fitting people for the following day or for the following episode or for the following week. And so sometimes I had no idea what was happening on set. Um, and that's where a good team and trust is invaluable, really. And talking with, with Fleabag and then you, you you saying about the time and the size of your team with it, I know Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is very hands-on, especially with Fleabag was it was her voice and uh, her vision with things. How did that work with your with your timing and things, you still got enough time to go through everything in detail with her or was the trust as well there that she'd, she'd had that conversation and yeah, there was a lot of trust. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would always, even if I was out and about and knowing that I knew Phoebe anyway, and we trust, I I hope we trusted each other. I think we did. Mm. Um, I would be out and about. I would either be fitting people or, but, but also very conscious that Phoebe was on camera so I would send her pictures, send her ideas, just as I went along, and and we would I would wait for her to respond to them. So I, my my main thing for that was, as long as I was there in the morning when people were getting ready, and when Phoebe got dressed into her first costume, I could go in, sit down in her trailer with her, and just say, "What about this? What about this? What about this? What do you think about this?" But also, you have to kind of manage that and make the decisions you want to make and decide what you're going to bother the mm. star and the writer and and the person who's made with you know you can't overload they're not doing your job for you no. but but there's there's a certain amount of there was a certain amount of trust and discussion mm. uh, because Phoebe is the Phoebe, I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me saying she is the kind of writer, she, she writes really good scripts, but she will always revise herself, and so she may change, she may get together with the actors in a particular scene, and they may rewrite something, and mm. they may add something, um, so we are always kind of on our toes and ready to 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 help, really, and and I think that's the key to it. Instead of panicking and when they said when they would say have you got this um sorry you know we hadn't mm. thought of this before instead of panicking about it trying to work out how we could help as a costume team what initially draws you to to a project what what excites you what what what, what makes when that script comes or that offer comes that you go oh i i really want to go for this one i i, I want to get this job yeah i have a i have a very specific story about that and it's the scripts so I don't know how I don't know I uh, I guess I'm I've become quite good at spotting a good script. Sometimes a script is in its very primitive form, but you get the script sent to you to read, and you kind of I can I can say I really want to do that. Very very early on in my career, I did something called This Is Personal: The Hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, and in fact, I think Daniel had just started at Angels and he was helping mm. me on it. Um, it was set between 77 and 81 and it was about the Yorkshire Ripper. There was thousands of cast, literally loads of cast in it. We were jumping. Okay, it was modern period, but we were jumping from 77 to 81. Big visual mm. changes in the clothing. 
but the 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 impactful thing about that and the, the was that the script was written by a writer called Neil McKay and it was just brilliant it was so compelling and I think that's what does it also when I did Broadchurch um, basically Kudos the production company I knew Chris Chibnall who wrote it he said would you like to do it and I said of course uh, I read the script and I thought oh yeah I really want to do that but Kudos said, no, we're going to do a, you know, there are two of you in the in the loop. You need to do mood boards. You need to do this, you need to do that. So I was absolutely kind of half furious that they didn't just give it to me, <laughs> and, and but absolutely determined to get that job. So I did, I worked really hard doing mood boards. I, you know, and, and I didn't bother Chris Chibnall, who I knew, I thought, let it be, it'll be what it is. And then I got the job, and he, what did he say to me? He rang and said, Thank, I, I'm so pleased you got it, and it was always you, really. And I remember thinking, Why did you put me through that? <laughs> but actually, it's a good process to go through. I mean, sometimes you think when you're doing mood boards for a job you haven't got that they're kind of going to steal your ideas or why are you doing mm. them um is it ethical but i did actually get that job and doing the mood boards kind of introduced me to the ideas that i was going to bring to the characters so so that was a good one but it's always the scripts even if it's even if it's a children's thing and i don't i mean i don't mind what i do i'll do i'll do uh, you know a low budget comedy um i will do an expensive television series, but as long as the scripts are good. With 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 your work with, with things, how how significant to your process do you think it is having the relationships with any of the costume houses that exist in in England and in in the world? Is is that an important thing for you guys to have? Yes, yeah, it's absolutely crucial. I'm I'm quite lucky because I have a very good relationship with you uh, at Angels, and I have and I feel very secure coming there. So. Sometimes I come with my head bowed and I say, I've got this job and I can't afford to do it. Um, what can we do? Um, other times I'll come and I'll say, I've got all the, I've got this money. I'm going to pay you for everything you do for me for full price this time. So it, it works. And, and, and the good thing about going to the costume houses is that I think you have to feel secure with people. I feel secure going to Carlos, um, coming to Angels. I was once um, accused of being an Angels boy. <laughs> and I just thought, what does that mean? I meant What's Angels mean? boy um, by somebody who what, was... Me and Daniel. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, well, you know what? I go to Angels because they are so... Because they're a lovely company and they're so helpful. And I worry... I worry on blocks of Doctor Who that I can't afford to do the things they want me to do. I worry that I can't make the things I need to make. Um, but whatever I do um, and whatever my problem is, I always know I can come and talk about it to the costume houses. But also, uh, that's just a kind of a, that's a practical approach. But when you get into the costume houses, even if you're, even if you're designing everything in your production, there are reference points. So I will mm. come and I will look through stock and I'll find pieces 
and I'll take them away and either you'll copy them in-house or I'll take them away to be copied um, and update them. They're, they're an incredible resource of information. And finally, what, what, what would you say would be the one single piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to become a costume designer or wants to enter the costume industry? Yeah, I, I would say don't be too cocky. Um, <laughs> I mean, just just learn. I, I, you know, talk to people. It's, it's, I think it's quite hard. I get a lot of people wanting to be trainees with me. I can only do one or two trainees every time I do Doctor Who. There are certain rules and regulations about who I can have and who I can't have. Um, I spot people in college, but the, the people that, when I left college, I didn't know what, if I was even knowledgeable enough to do a production. I, I, and I'm not saying you should be that humble, but I think that as a person, you should be able, you'd be open to learning throughout your life. And, uh, and so if you go, if you come out of college, if you want to be a designer straight away, you don't even have to have been to college, but it depends if you, if you're open to learning really, um, and to working in a team because Wherever we are, whether we're at the costume houses, whether we're on set with our own teams, whether we're shopping, we are working as a team, and we're and we're working with productions. Um, so you can go in and you know with a kind of a bomb and say, "This is what I want to do, hooray!" <laughs> but <laughs> um, but that's not really advised. I mean, there are it's also not you production. That's not you. Uh, no, and all. Also, people, you need to collaborate with people. People have spent, authors have spent, writers have spent years developing scripts. Production companies have agendas. Mm. You know, they, they, they will make a production. Like when I did The Split, Series 1, mm. it was a very kind of high-end, powerful women. It was Sister Picture's very first production. Lots of eyes on it. And so... You know, you have to be collaborative and be mindful of the fact that a lot of people around you are also working very hard to get the thing made and to make it its best possible thing. So, yeah, don't be be as confident as you can be, but don't be afraid to to not know something and don't be afraid to always um, learn new things. I would say. Thank you. I mean, I'd, I'm I'm going to ask one more question. Please, I apologise for this, but it'd be remiss of me not to. You have you've worked on some brilliant TV programs that have some just fantastic looks. You from whether it's Doctor Who to Torchwood to Fleabag. You mentioned earlier Broadchurch as well, and that just because it's contemporary, I always feel contemporary uh, contemporary TV and films does get overlooked for costume at times because it's still not an easy thing to make it look good and look real. As you're watching it, do you have a preference to the period or the genre that you work in? I mean, you you work on Doctor Who now. You've had the privilege of, uh, uh, yeah, I say the privilege of working with. I think it's if I'm right, three Doctors you've now got to work with, or is it four? Yeah, it, yeah, uh, it's four actually. Yeah. It's four. Yeah, there four Doctors. So, do you have a preference in when when with? I know you say it's about the script, but is there always something that comes to you? Go, I I, I really wish to have a, a Victorian one, a Victorian show, or a is there something that really excites you period wise? Yeah. Well, I think it's social consciousness mm -hmm. and I think the Yorkshire Ripper did that. 
Code mm. of the Killer did it, and I know they're both crime shows. Um, but I think, for example, I loved making the episode on Doctor Who about Rosa. So, so educating people. It was lovely, which was, that was one of the first episodes of the new season. Yeah. Uh, just the season just gone, yeah. yes. And it was all set in, we went to South Africa, it was set in, um, in America in the 60s. Um, so that was brilliant. It's interesting because now I'm designing creatures on Doctor Who, so I'm on, as well as the costumes and the Doctors, but I'm on a different path, so I'm in, I'm kind of, um, learning more and more about prosthetics, but I think if 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 I had to answer the question, I think and 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 this is not the usual answer from a costume designer. <laughs> I really really like the twentieth century, and I really like anything modern, uh, modern mm. period. So anything from the forties to the to to now. Um, from the 1940s and I love anything with a social message just and I think that comes from me my working class background and having to sometimes at the BBC put up a bit of a snottiness you know about I didn't go to a public school but I went to a very good school um, and wanting to change the world and make it a better place and also to to break down barriers and stop racism and you know i i think i know that sounds that's gone far away from being a costume designer but any content that will do that i love it i really love it and it's it's very interesting that after all the things i've done i get nominated for a contemporary piece of drama <laughs> in america and i i kind of looked at myself and thought really really because because obviously i i've been through i i really like comedy and i know fleabag was a comedy but i also used to do still game which is a um which was a really really low budget comedy but but um very very popular in scotland and you know um so but all that comes down to writing and social issues so it can be any period i don't mind the period i think as long as the message is good oh, well, well thank you that's that's been absolutely fascinating fascinating to hear where you the story yours your story and your your approach to things as i said it's no, no one's no one's story is the same and it's always amazing to hear how people got in the industry and the, the one thing that is clear that's coming through from a lot of these industries is just how much people want to help the next generation they want to help also people to get further no matter what level they're at or you've even said it yourself you're, you're learning about leather you're learning about prosthetics all the time and it's the constant thing of you're learning you're happy you want other people to learn and it's a great industry to work in and it, it's you're sharing the knowledge that you have and learning new things all the time so thank you so much yeah no and I feel very honored and humble to work in it really that sounds really corny doesn't it no, but no. i will i will always try knowing that i don't know everything it really pleases me that i can teach somebody something and that is mm. very rewarding so uh, yeah and it's so it's nice to do this and to kind of talk about because nobody asks you really in real life do they you just you know do your job <laughs> nobody really asks you where you're coming from well Thank well, we're glad. We're, I'm glad we're the first one to do that to you. So, but thank you so much. Thank you. All right, all right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks.
that was my interview with Ray. That was a fascinating journey into his career and how he got there. And I hope you all can understand the passion that he actually has for the industry and the, the training and the future of the training in the industry as well. Yeah, the word, that was the word I was going to use was passion. You know, again, he feels passionately about what he does and about the business. And, 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 and that's, that's inspirational, I think. I also wonder how many designers have actually worked with four of Doctor Who's doctors, which Ray has done. Yes, because of course, in the in the in the old BBC days, um, they were basically seen as just staff staff jobs. Um, they were shared. Yeah, out, they were they? shared out. Yeah, if you look if you look on uh, IMDb and look at the the credits, the costume design credits, it's yeah. I I was always intrigued by the by the fact that it would. If you, do you remember it was it was sort of Michael Birdle and Jim Atchison and yeah. Yeah, and Jim um, Hudson, Liz Waller, Liz Waller. So, so they, so it was their top. It was their top level, and then, and then subsequently, it, it went down to, at that time, their assistants. So, I remember. I think Barbara Kidd. Yeah, she um, definitely did one. Definitely did. Did one, did one and she was very uh, associated with Michael Birdle. Yeah. Yeah. And he seems to have loved it. I mean, he's now moved on to helping design the creatures as well and getting into prosthetics, which for him, as he's saying, it's a new thing. You're talking about Ray. Yeah, for Ray with Doctor Who, yeah. Yeah. Next week's interview is with Kathy Zuba, which Jonathan did. Jonathan, is there anything you'd like to point out before we play a small sample of Kathy's interview? I think for, for our audience to have Kathy's insight into the, the section of the industry that she has become so sought after in as a as a designer, theatre and opera primarily, although she does do television and uh, movies, but first and foremost, her, her passion is in, is in productions that, that have a direct connection with live audiences. I think, I think people will find it fascinating in terms of how she prepares and uh, for, for a production and goes through the process of, of preparation. Well, this is a small insert from Jonathan's interview with Kathy. We look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. I always want the costume to be better than the sketch. I feel the sketch is a launch, launching pad of the design. And sometimes you can be in a situation where you're striving to at least get it as good as the sketch. It never quite gets there. And my f- uh, favorite collaborators are people that look in the, look at the sketch and then take it, you know, to higher levels than what the sketch is.